But I hope you've already had a good time. And uh, now let me connect up some of those things that, that we voiced in song and in worship and in prayer. Uh, open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 24. Now, we're going to eventually cover the entire chapter, and I owe you a little bit of an explanation. This is supposed to be the day that I wrapped up our uh, journey through the parables, and the parables that I wanted to look at are in Matthew chapter 25, okay? But I, I can't do that without walking through Matthew chapter 24, okay? So I don't know how long this is going to take us. I mean, it won't take weeks and weeks, but uh, I think probably what I'll do as I'm with you is I will uh, take us through Matthew chapter 24, and I'm going to try to do it uh, today as an introduction and then uh, show you how the chapter breaks down, and then we'll take those sections in turn. And it may be that we do this some on Sunday mornings and some on Wednesday nights, and that'll, that'll move us along a little quicker. Um, but uh, this spring journey has been very good. I have enjoyed it. I've gotten a lot of uh, feedback from you. The discussion uh, has been good. Uh, the Psalms that we have looked at on Wednesdays uh, have blessed me. And um, I know from your own feedback, they've blessed you. And the parables have uh, challenged all of us. Uh, and the, the, the first part of the challenge started up here. I just, I have to say that again. I want you all to understand that. <laughs> um, you know, the challenge doesn't reach out to where you are in these things until it's it's beat the preacher up first <laughs> and I've I've felt beat up a lot this spring <laughs> so you know God's word ministers to us it challenges us it equips us and it is life for us and that is why we dive into it the way that we do now let me set the stage for you in Matthew chapter 24 I'm not sure how many of these verses we may read together but I'll, I'll probably read them as I go because there's a good bit here to cover. Uh, and the first verse, that you, it's on your screen, it says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked. Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And then verse 3 says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Now, obviously, there's a little, been a little walk between verse 2 and verse 3, okay? And let me tell you now how this sets the stage for what we are to understand. Chapter 23, where we were last week, was the public ministry of Jesus. In Matthew's gospel, the, the public ministry of Jesus concludes in Matthew chapter 23. From this point forward, you see him here in verse 1. Jesus left the temple. This was the end of public discourse. And he now goes immediately, he's talking to his disciples. This is a discussion that he has with them. He was sitting on the Mount of Olives, verse 3. The disciples came to him, what's the word there? Privately. Okay. So we're having an intimate discussion. And the disciples have asked some questions. And you may not look at it and see that it's questions, plural, but it is. Now, there are a great many people who have, you know, I mean, a lot of people don't necessarily agree about how to approach this discourse. This is a, a topical discourse by Jesus Christ. It's in answer to the questions of his disciples. And you have to take a pretty deep dive into it, which is why I'm going to spread this out in order to, you know, come up with what 
we're supposed to gather from it. And I'll just tell you out there in the, you know, the larger Christian community, not everybody agrees with this, but, and here's the point of contention. They don't see necessarily the church mentioned in this discourse. Now it's here, just like we saw it in the parable of the pearl of great price. Okay, we saw the hidden treasure, Israel, we saw the pearl. Matthew is the only gospel writer to mention the church. That's where, you know, the, first, the term first appears when Jesus took his disciples and they were up in Caesarea Philippi and he asked them, who do men say that I am? And, G and Peter said, what? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said in response to that, upon this rock, this rock of faith, this rock of truth, not Peter, but the rock of truth, the declaration of who I am, I will build my church. And Matthew is the only gospel writer to, to include that. And it's not the first time, excuse me, it's not the only time that the idea comes up, but it's not always terribly obvious. And it's not, I mean, it is kind of obvious once you take a dive into this chapter, but, you know, some folks just don't want to see it. <laughs> and we will before we're done. But that's not where the first part of the chapter goes. So Jesus... We talked about this judgment last week. Uh, he is looking at the temple. The, 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 even the disciples had some amount of pride in that temple. Oh, hey, you know, we're back to being the religious leaders of the world. Look at this great temple. Never mind that an a evil Roman-appointed ruler, Herod, built this one. You know, it was to placate the Jews. That's why he did it. We've talked about that. And it wasn't fully complete at this time. And I told you last week, in 70 AD, the Roman Emperor Titus came through and flattened it. There was a rebellion by the Jews against Rome, and he, he actually told his armies, you know, to leave the temple alone, but got, it got flattened anyway, because the, the edict of an emperor cannot overcome the word of God. And Jesus said, not one of these stones is going to be left on top of the other. Now, which one proved to be true, the emperor or Christ? <laughs> and so they actually completed, I think the, the last of the temple, if I remember right, was 63 or 64 A.D., one of those two, when they actually finally finished it. I mean, it's just barely finished. Five or six years later, bam, it's gone. No more. And we talked about the reasons for those judgments last week. Now, uh, this is end-time prophecy is what we're looking at from verse 4 all the way to verse 51. And... Look at the question, verse 3. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? Key little word, and, and. Two, two questions. When will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming? Oops, another and. And of the end of the age. So how many questions do we have? Three. <laughs> and that, that's, you know, they ask it all at one time, but, you know, that's like, uh, you know, you, you've probably fussed at your children or your husband or your wife. You know, they ask you three questions in a row and you answer the first one while they're asking you two more because they didn't stop talking. You answer the first one and that's not the answer they were looking for to the last question. And now you're going, you know, you're, you're cross-communicating. Y'all don't look at each other like that. <laughs> I thought I was the only one that ever gotten those things. <laughs> I can tell some of y'all have too. Um, so what Jesus does is set about to answer their questions and the Lord has been dealing with mankind and, and all of the fallen created order since as long as time's been here, right? Created man, now there's, there's nations and what we have is a discourse in the opening part here about 
the Lord dealing with the nations, okay? And that's just the, the masses at large, particularly uh, the Gentiles. And so he's going to pick up two other topics. He deals and addresses what's going to happen with the nations, and then he picks up with what's going to happen with the Jewish people in this discourse. And then the last section of the discourse is what's going to happen with the church. Now, there are ways that you can identify that and why we know it's about the church. But those are the things, and they come in the same order that God has dealt with history. Okay? Before Abraham was a nation or fathered a nation, there were just the nations, right? And then God began to work with his chosen people, right? About 2,000 years in each segment. And then when God's chosen people rejected him, as we saw last week and as we see Jesus moving on in this chapter, he began to work with another group. And that group was or is us, the church. Now, you can put the sequence together for yourself. About 2,000 years with the nations in general, about 2,000 years with the Jews in particular, and about 2,000 years with the church. What do you think? <laughs> You're already smiling. <laughs> do you think something's about to change? <laughs> it, you could be forgiven for thinking that. We don't know, and we'll talk about that too before we get through with all of this. So that's how Jesus is laying out. He, he, he lays this discourse out in the same order as, you know, the Godhead has dealt with humanity. And so people, you know, sometimes don't put that together right, and they'll make mincemeat out of this address. But they shouldn't. And so he says, beginning in verse 4, watch out, pay attention. For what? That nobody will deceive you. Okay? Now, are there a lot of deceivers out and about in today's world? Yes. They're on radio. They're on TV. They're on the Internet. They're in pulpits. There's a lot of deceivers. And you see, the thing is, we can sing and enjoy the, the worship time that we have this morning because we know the, the, the peace that comes from having Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We, know, we understand quite well that I am a fallen, sinful creature, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet God loves me anyway. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Christ demonstrated his love in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He doesn't say to us, get your act together, clean your life up, and then come to me and I'll think about making you one of my children. He doesn't say that. He says, I love you right where you are, just like you are. I know you're a sinner. I know what you are. And you can't change that. A leopard cannot change its spots and the sinner cannot fix his own condition. But the Lord can. He says, I will forgive you if you will confess to me. That simply means to agree. Agree with me that you are a sinner. Agree with me that you have sinned and ask for your forgiveness and I will forgive you. If you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We believe in our heart. We confess with our mouth. The critical part is not the words we say. It's the heart. So we, we can take all of the things we sang this morning because we know those things. And we can go, man, that is so good. Not only am I forgiven, not only do I not have to spend eternity separated from God in a hell prepared for Satan and his followers, I get to spend eternity with Christ in heaven. Amen. I get to do that. 
But then we come to this. And see, we're still here, right? We're still here. There's got to be a reason for that. Now, you know, and I can assure you that the reason is larger than keeping the dust off of a pew in a church where I go sit. <laughs> the reason's bigger than that. So, the Lord says, watch out that no one deceives you. You see, what I just told you is the truth from the, the Word of God. You know it to be the truth, but there are people out there who will tell the masses any number of other things that say you can do this, that, or the other and still be right with God and still sing Kumbaya and live happily ever after. And it's not true. So he says, don't let anyone deceive you, for many will come in my name. Now, not only are they going to be false teachers, but they will come claiming, I'm the Messiah. I'm God's Savior sent to free you from any and all. Have there been some of those? Yeah, some in our lifetime, some before, some yet to come. You will hear, turn on your news channel, you will hear wars and rumors of wars. Mm. Now, what's he telling everybody? This is how the nations are going to act. This is the general condition of the world. Remember the question that questions that the disciples ask. How are we going to know? How, how, how can it be known? Nation will rise against nation. But wait a minute. Back in there in verse 6, he says you're going to hear about this. But what? Don't be alarmed. Now, this is where the Thanksgiving challenge comes in. I told you the other day that when somebody has a loss, it may be, it, it could be any number of things, things that are significant to us in our lives, okay? That can be relationships. We most often identify grieving with the loss of a, a loved one, a, a close friend, or whatever. But we grieve over loss in our lives. It could be a job. It could be we, we had to move. We were really happy where we were living. And, and that's a loss to us, and, and we grieve over that, right? We do. And if we look in the world today, and we look at everything around us, and I'm just talking about in our culture and our nation, we have great cause for grieving, do we not? We do. Because there are many things that are wrong. There are many things that are not right. There are many things that are, uh, you know, they're not lawful, much less godly. Am I right or wrong? And so we see those things and there's a certain sense in which we grieve the loss of what has been. Am I truthful or not? And yet, the Lord says, you will hear wars and rumors of wars, but see that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. Ooh, it didn't say such things might happen, did it? Any of y'all's translations say might? <laughs> there I go picking again. Such things must happen, but the end is still not come. This is just the general picture of the nations of the world. So if God is at work in the world, and He is, and He is bringing all things together in subjection under Christ Jesus, and you, you have to know, you have to be able to just get that out of your mouth and your heart. That is God's purpose in the world. Period, end of sentence. Bringing all things together in subjection under Christ Jesus, meaning that he is bringing all things together so that Christ will rule and reign the created order. Amen. 
Period. Now part of that is drawing all men to himself from every nation, tribe, and tongue. You've already heard that this morning. That's scripture, and, and God is doing that, and he employs us to do that. To share what we know, the truth of having a relationship with God, of having peace with God. That's the truth. That's what we get to do. And we look around us, and we have that sense of grief, but he says here, don't be alarmed. I'm glad he didn't say don't grieve. But he says, don't be alarmed. These things will happen, but the end is still to come. Verse 7, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And you see, up until about the 20th century, how did wars take place? Were they just between armies? They were. I mean, this group had an army and this group had an army. And the armies went out and had war with each other, right? But you open up the 20th century and you get to World War I and then you have what? You have the whole nation at war. You have the nation mobilized for war from its, from its workers, from its factories to its, its people, uh, its economic systems. I mean, you've got nation against nation. See, it, it, it took a different, it went to a different level in the 20th century. And I think that's exactly what the Lord is mentioning here. That nation, not just armies, but nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And he says there will be famines and earthquakes in many places, various places. And what are these? These are the beginnings of birth pains. Now, if y'all could have been around when our first child was about to be born, Obviously, like everybody else, you know, when the first one comes, hey, we've never done this before. <laughs> and uh, you know, I certainly didn't know what to do. Debbie's going, uh, I, think, I think this is about to happen. <laughs> and uh, we weren't sure, didn't know what, you know, we'd, we'd been through all those classes at the hospital, you know, because that was back when they were just first starting to let uh, dads attend delivery and all that sort of stuff. I mean, we've been through what? I don't know. Six or eight weeks class at the hospital. Um, and so, yeah, we're doing this. And uh, all these years later, you know, she's in her 40s now. Her son graduates high school this, this week. <laughs> but uh, for a while, while we didn't know, we were in Dallas-Fort Worth area and we were we, we sat up for a little while and watched this stupid movie. I mean, probably a movie we would never have watched any other time, but there wasn't anything else on TV. People didn't have cable back then. And we can both remember this stupid movie that was on the TV. And we were sitting up there watching this while, you know, this natural process continues. And then finally, yeah, we need to go. <laughs> so, you know, in the car we go, and I'm just I'm doing my best to get to the hospital. But, you know, that's a process, right? It's a process. And what he says here is when you see this stuff, these are the beginnings. This isn't the real deal, but you know it's coming. Just like you knew the other was coming. Just like I knew that our firstborn was going to be there soon. Couldn't tell you the, the moment she was going to be born, but I knew she was coming. <laughs> you know it's coming. You know he's coming. And then he says, I want to point something out to you. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by the what? The nations. We're still dealing with the nations. This is another way you know. This thread going through here of, of, of what he's talking about. This is the general picture across the world. And, and those who are not his, in other words, talking to his disciples, that they, they are 
you know, representing those who are the Lord's, you are going to be hated. Anybody that's His is going to be hated. And you will be handed over for persecution and put to death, hated. And then verse 10, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Now, in our lifetimes, in, our, in, in mankind's more recent history, we, we know that betrayal and, um, you know, ratting out your family, communist regimes have used that for a long time. They wanted to stamp out faith in every place they could kill it. And they would actually pay bounties and rewards for, for you if you turn in those in your family who are practicing Christian faith. And it's funny that they can practice a lot of other things, but Christian faith, you know, that's the one that gets everybody in trouble, right? It is. Betrayal. Family members betraying each other. Treachery. That's, that's something that's marking the end time. And it could be, you know, people who thought they were friends. It could be family. Anybody. And it's, it needs to be pointed out simply because it's a trait of the times. It's how things will be. Do we see any of this in our world right now? Unfortunately, we do. Verse 11. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Well, go back up to the beginning. <laughs> what did he say up there at the top? For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. Now, verse 11. And many false prophets will appear. False prophets Things that are, are against Scripture, against the Word of God, are going to become prevalent. They're going to become widespread. And they're going to deceive many people. Why? Verse 12. Because of the increase of wickedness. Okay? Let me, just let me tell you something. <clears throat> there are folks. I, I don't understand how they hold this view. I really don't. But there are folks who believe that the mission of the church is to be salt and light, which we are to be. I got that part. We are to be salt and light, and our, our future is that we will be such good servants of the Lord and so effective at being salt and light that the result of our ministry and our presence in the world is that everyone will come to righteousness, and when we've won the world to Christ, then Christ will come. Does that sound consistent with what you know? The world is not getting better and better, is it? You see, even the laws of physics, I think it's thermodynamics, fourth law, if I remember right. These things go through my brain. <laughs> but it says that the states of matter, states of things in the world, they, they proceed from order to disorder. If you take an orderly system and you leave it alone, not only will it not get better and it won't stay the same, it will decay into more and more chaos, right? That's what it says. And yet we have people who want to believe that somehow a, um, you know, a Category 5 hurricane blew through a graveyard and left a living person. <laughs> and, you know, that, I mean, you may as well say that about evolution. That's, you know, things don't proceed from disorder to order. It goes the other way. In all of life, it does that. And so the increase of wickedness, verse 12, it's going to get worse. The love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm, what is that? Will be saved. Now, there's a lot of, there's a lot of folks who look at that right there and they, they want to use that as a proof text for, 
losing one's salvation, and that's not the context of how they're saved. What that word actually means there is they will be delivered from these circumstances. That's the context of the word saved here. They'll be delivered from this, okay? And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, who's going to preach the gospel to all nations? <laughs> We're preaching the gospel to all nations, but... We believe that there is a rapture, and we're going to see that later in this chapter. So humanity continues on the face of this planet after the church is gone, right? So who continues preaching? The 144,000 Jewish evangelists. Now we're going to get to them. We talked about this in the book of Revelation. But the gospel, according to the word of God, just like he said that temple will fall and not one stone be left on another, he said the gospel will be preached to every nation to the whole world as a testimony to who? All nations. Again, this is our, our thread for these first few verses that he's talking about the general state of humanity, not addressing a particular group of people, but hey, this is how it's going to be in the world in general as the times come. But it will go out to all nations. Now you have to look elsewhere. I've already told you how that happens in two ways. But you have to look elsewhere in Scripture to find out how that happens, but it will happen, and it does, and the Lord has prophesied it here. And this is a prophetic discourse by the Lord himself. John had not written the Revelation yet, and uh, this is how people began to understand what was coming. And so here's the thing. Let me take you back to salt and light, and why am I here? I'm here because everybody doesn't know what I know. And I don't mean, I'm not talking about somebody being smart. I'm talking about everybody doesn't know the love of God the way that I know it, right? Everybody doesn't know that. Everybody doesn't know that they can look forward to a time of eternal peace and happiness in the Lord's presence. Everybody doesn't know that. Now, it's one thing for me to say, man, I am so glad that I get that promise from the Lord himself in scripture. I am so happy. That makes me so blessed. That's all that's true. We ought to feel that way. But it's a whole different thing whenever I think that and I don't care if Nikki knows. Ouch. Yes or no? You see, if I am called and I am, and if you are called and you are if you are a believer, if you've been forgiven by Jesus Christ, then you are called According to what Jesus told his disciples on the night that he was resurrected, he said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. What was Jesus' ministry? To demonstrate the goodness of the Father, to declare the love of the Father, to tell the world that, hey, there is hope beyond the condition that you are in. And you can be a good person, you can be a Baptist, you can be a Methodist, and you can still not know the love of God and his forgiveness. It is possible, as one evangelist I knew one time said, he said, you can, now I grew up in Texas, and you just got to know that, uh, and y'all do know that, and you may not know anything about the Brazos River, but, you know, he, he made the statement that, you know, you can be baptized in the Brazos River till every fish in there knows your name, and you can still go to hell. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Take a good Texan to figure that out. <laughs> But, you know, the point is not the name that's over the door. That, that's irrelevant. What matters is the blood that's shed on the heart to forgive the sin of the sinner. 
That's what matters. And that's what will allow anyone and everyone who will claim it and receive it to spend eternity with Him. Short of that, there is no hope. And I cannot leave... We don't want to be people who are content or indifferent enough, pick your word, to leave people in that condition. Now, just because we share something with them, we did this Wednesday night. There's some of these out there on the table. You know, there's a, there's a Jesus video in here, really well done video. There's a New Testament in here. It's a door hanger thing. And a lot of people left here Wednesday night with one of those to put on somebody's door or, you know, give it to a friend. It doesn't make any difference. You know, we might give away a hundred of those or a thousand of those. And there may not be anybody who responds to that. That's not my job. What's my job? My job's to give it. Not my job what they do with it. Now, we, got, we ought to pray for it before we let it go. And we did that Wednesday night. You know, Lord, let this find some fertile ground to fall on. Parable of the sower. Most of it's going to fall on rocky soil. They got no problem with that. The Lord told us that was going to happen too. So we don't need to have anxiety over, eh, it's pointless. They're not going to look at it. Well, somebody will. They may not look at the one I give, but they may look at the one you give. And it may make a difference for them. So they can know what you know. They can know what I know. It makes a difference. And I need to not only celebrate what's mine in the Lord, I need to be grateful that he's at work in the world, even though that causes me a little bit of pain. And it's, it's all about me that the pain comes. I, you know, the larger issue is not whether I'm happy with how he does his work. I, I need to be extremely happy with the fact that he is at work. He's bringing his promised resolution to pass. And that's a good thing. The process is painful. Hello, birth pains. The process is painful, but the result is glorious, right? So the Lord himself has told us how he's going to deal with the nations and a big picture of what this looks like. The next section of this chapter, which we will undertake, I may give you some, I may dive into some of this in a little more detail on Wednesday night. And then the next time uh, we'll take the next section, which deals with Israel. But today, as in all cases, there is, you know, how, do, how do I respond? And I think there's a number of responses that are, or appropriate. Uh, we started early on with one. It's called gratitude. You know, am I grateful that, that God has shown me what he has shown me? Am I grateful for what God has given me in the Lord? A am I expressing that? Uh, then there's also that challenge. Hey, it's really good to have the blessings of the Lord, but it's added to if I share those blessings with others, right? So there's a there's an appropriate response, you know, and, and in a crowd of nearly any size, there's always the, the, the possibility that, 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 you know, someone, anyone, and we may never know who they are, but they don't really, they've not experienced the truth of what I said earlier, of the forgiving power of Jesus Christ. That's always a possibility. And so there's also a response of committing myself to what the Lord's called me to do and called me to be. That's appropriate too, right? Say yes, because it is. So let me ask you to stand and bow your heads for a minute.